to season two, episode five of the Mentor's Voice. I'm Chris Mormon, president of Markentum, here with Christy Kramer from Leading Age. Christy, who is our mentor today? Well, this is a incredible person. I love this person. Um, her name is Gail Kenbold, and she actually just retired. Uh, she was the president and CEO of Leading Age Minnesota. And if anyone is from that region of the country, specifically Minnesota, you probably know Gail. She is just such a remarkable leader. So she had spent about four decades at Leading Age Minnesota. She was the president and CEO since 1989. And I can just tell you, as a former uh, state executive, when I ran Leading HDC, we used to get together all the time with all the other state execs. And Gail was just one of those calm presences in the room. She was also one of those people that was just so such an such a great leader. She would come out with some of the uh, experience that she's she had to share with us, and to really give some incredible wisdom to all of us in the room. So, uh, I'm excited for this one uh, for her leadership experience to be shared out there a little bit more, especially with students, and for all of us to learn from Gail. I just want to continue learning from her after this episode. It's awesome to be able to thinking about what you're saying and having this, uh, I think what's cool about the podcast is here's like a little recorded synopsis, you know, frozen in time, um, of her sharing these things. So anybody that's engaged with her and knows Gail being able to go back and reference this and go, Oh yeah, that's Gail. Here she is sharing this insight. And of course, Molly is a fantastic interviewer. So really excited as Molly is working through some of the last stages of her, um, you know, graduate work, still committed to the mentor's voice and doing a fantastic job of interviewing. So again, we hope that everybody just have a great time listening to uh, season two, episode five, featuring Gail Canville. Happy New Year. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me and yeah, to everyone who listened to the mentor's voice. Thanks so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, so I can briefly introduce myself. I'm Molly Wiley. I am a fourth year PhD student at, in the gerontology department at UMass Boston. I'm not in Boston right now. I'm in Santa Monica, California, where I moved oh. recently where I'm from. So made it back to the West Coast and avoided another winter in Boston. Uh, I don't um, know if you can see, it's snowing here this morning. You probably I had a feeling. I didn't even need to ask about uh, Minnesota. Yeah. So. It's snowing today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I'm in my dissertation writing phase okay. and I have been largely interested in how, uh, people, family members, caregivers, how they find, um, and search for non-medical home care services. So oh, like information seeking yeah. behavior, what are referral sources? Do they go to their doctor? Do they rely on a family member? Um, so that's generally what I've been interested in. But I've also, I've loved talking to different professionals on the mentor's voice and hearing their journey of how they got to where they are. So I'm really excited to talk to you and we can jump right in. I know you mentioned you've spent um, 40 years at Leading Age Minnesota, and you've been president and CEO, I believe, for 32. So can you tell us just about the progress you helped achieve that you were most proud of at Leading Age? Well, you know, I don't know 
what I could take credit for as an individual over the arc of that uh, of that work. But I will tell you that I am immensely proud to have been even a small part of creating a much broader array of options and choices for elders than when I began this work. And I, I began this work actually in the, the late 1960s, if you can believe that. And uh, it, in a setting that had just replaced the county poor farm, that you know literally was a thing, not just of the history books, but it, it did exist. Um, and uh, today, that was in the option that today, there are so many options for seniors who need uh, either short-term or long-term supports and services. And I know it's it's often a case of um, whether or not you have your own resources. There are disparities that we have to tackle all across the board, but we really have come so far in our understanding of what we ought to have in place uh, as we age to help us live fully. And we've made, if I look over the arc of four decades, we actually have made a lot of progress. That's a nice thing to, you know, be packing up your office and sort of look back and reflect and see such a big change. So that's very rewarding when your career at Leading Age has been for four decades, as you said. Um, so I'm going to toot your horn here, but you're a very influential healthcare leader. You recently were named one of Minnesota's most admired CEOs. And I wanted to know what you think are the most important qualities in a good and admirable uh, leader or CEO? So well, Molly, I think at the very top of my list would be empathy because I believe it is the foundation of all relationships. Our ability to really see the person who we are, we are either uh, helping to guide or serving or negotiating with uh, in the public policy arena I believe it starts with empathy and not to be confused with sympathy, but empathy, ability to um, walk in another individual's shoes. So that that would be right there uh, at the top of my list. But right alongside it would be authenticity. We do a state level leadership academy. I know on previous podcasts, you've talked about uh, other leading age leaders about the National Leadership Academy uh, for emerging leaders in our field. We do one state side as well. And we start with authentic leadership and what that means. And to me, that means that there's really no space between what you say you believe in and the actions and that you carry out and that you are essentially the same person, regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in. Then the reason I think that that's so important alongside empathy is it's the basic of basis of trust. And it is trusted relationships Again, as with the benefit of looking back over my career, it's actually been personal relationships that have driven the most dramatic change, that have driven the breakthroughs in public policy, that have driven the breakthroughs in service delivery. It's all built on the human dynamic. So I, I put those leadership qualities of, that are interpersonal at the very top of my list. That's great. And that's echoing what some other leaders have said, when I asked this question, I've heard communication, the ability to listen, caring. So those qualities definitely are right in line with what other leaders have said. And I think authenticity is a great one you mentioned because it also shows that there's not one mold of a CEO 
or a leader in the field, that they're, you know, it's going to look different. Not every CEO is going to have the same qualities or act the same way. So that's great for us to hear. Yeah, exactly, Molly. So to back up a little, I'd love to know how you got involved in the senior care industry in the first place and what attracted you to leading age years ago? Mm -hmm. Why leading age in particular? Well, like a lot of people in, in the field of aging services, I got my start as a nursing assistant. I couldn't find a summer job. There were, of course, openings in the local nursing home. I applied. I was actually hired on the spot and put to work the next day. That's not a good thing. That has changed. <laughs> about right. That need has not gone away. <laughs> that has changed. Uh, but it, it led me um, to really appreciate that deep in, deep in my soul, I was really interested in aging and in older people and learning from older people of in some way being connected in a career sense with the field of aging. I uh, kept working as a nursing assistant summers while I was in college and, uh, and holidays and decided that what I really would like to do was become a social worker in an aging services setting. And so the first decade of my career, I was a nursing home social worker. And then I went to graduate school and uh, sought an MSW, but realized that what I really wanted to do was on the administrative side of that work. And that led to a series of roles here in Minnesota, including having the opportunity to help write the state's first long-term care plan in 1981. And it's fun, actually, I've just unpacked a copy of that booklet as I'm clearing my office. And uh, it's fun to see that some of those things that we dreamed about decades ago have come to pass. But I ended up uh, being attracted to Leading Age because they were part of a statewide collaborative effort to, in fact, look at how we serve elders. And in particular, how we could create more home and community-based service options. And I got to work alongside the then CEO of the forerunner of Leading Age Minnesota. And that individual offered me a job. And I took it thinking I would stay a few years and I've stayed 40 years. And the reason I was attracted to the role and the reason I've stayed, it's all about the, the intersection of my, my personal passion for aging and the opportunity to serve a purpose larger than my own and do so alongside people with deep missions of service. That, that really is the reason I have stayed so long is I work with a community of such committed, passionate, dedicated individuals who are bettering the world for all of us as we age. I can second that with my own experience. I've not been president and CEO of anything, but I've been a, a student research fellow in the LTSS Center at Leading Age. And I've felt the same way, like a little family of researchers all, you know, going towards the same mission. So it is a wonderful place to work. And it's nice that you've been there for so long and have developed such deep relationships. Um, and looking back on your career and your educational path, Knowing what you know now, is there anything you wish you did differently? I had a chance to reflect on that as well, Molly. And what I would call out is I wished I had been and could have been more deliberate about seeking out mentors, mm -hmm. especially early in my career. Now, I got lucky. I've had great mentors every step of my career, but 
it was not as planned as perhaps it, it could have been, as it could have been, and perhaps should have been. And I think part of it is being, um, oh, maybe reluctant to admit up the things we don't know. Uh, maybe being vulnerable as a young professional, uh, allowing myself to be vulnerable as a young professional and saying, there's a lot I could learn from you. Would you, would you mentor me in this area or in that area? Uh, so that, that's, that's something I probably would have done differently. And I would, I would just, uh, because I've been so shaped by the mentors that I was lucky to find, uh, I would call that out for anyone in this field. And I assume if someone, a young professional came to you and said, you know, would you be willing to mentor me? I feel like I know what your answer would be. So to young professionals out there, this is a call to action, definitely. Yeah, in a heartbeat. Absolutely, yeah. Molly. Right. Now, CEOs have a unique leadership role. And, you know, we, we sometimes hear the sentiment, it's lonely at the top. Maybe CEOs don't feel that they have peers on the job. And I'd like to know if you agree with this and why or why not in your experience? So I think it can be lonely at the top, Molly, but if when that happens, it's because we've allowed it to. And again, that comes back a little bit to mentors, but also to peer groups. Again, I've been fortunate over the years to have participated in a group of, for example, a CEO roundtable where I get together once a month with a group of 12 other CEOs and it's very professionally focused. We review business articles. We talk about the application of them in our own uh, circumstances. One topic that I've had to grapple with this two years as CEO is about the nature of work. And is our office going to be totally remote or is it going to be in person? And having experienced remote work, um, what about the fact that some of us never want to go back to that? I mean, never want to go back to the office um, and would like to be able to do that remote work. And having a group of CEOs to talk that through with who are having the similar kinds of questions has been so valuable. I've also been part of a learning circle, 16 people across the country, uh, CEOs in the aging services field uh, specifically that gets together at least annually for just a handful of days of learning and fellowship and camaraderie, and then a wonderful network of people who have exactly the job I have in Minnesota in other states across the nation as part of the Leading Age Network. And in each of those cases, I don't know how I could have gotten along without them. It, it's been a wonderful source of learning, but also a wonderful way to build one's resilience and in the face of challenge. Great, and are these groups, is this something that you created yourself? Is it something that was already in place and structured before? How did, how did they come to be? So they came to be, I, I actually did not create any one of these, they existed. One of them when I took this position and the other two being created during the time that I've served as a CEO. Uh, and it was about making the time in a busy schedule to make the commitment to be fully participating as a member of a, of a peer group, but it's been worth every minute of it from my standpoint. That's great. Thank you. And this is the last question I have for you, a little takeaway for our listeners, but what issues or topics in aging do you think young professionals, whether they're researchers, social workers, activists, innovators, nurses, et cetera, what do you think they should focus on now in 2022? So Molly, it's really hard for me to think outside the box of workforce solutions, because it is such a, 
a crisis in our in, in our field today, in in uh, residential settings, in home care services, all across the board. And I do believe that that broad spectrum of people, that stakeholders that you just described, it's going to take everybody working together to really solve our workforce uh, challenge going forward. So I hope that there is the same embrace of possibility across all stakeholders that there is right now within the long-term care community to solve our workforce needs for the future. But the other thing I would, I would say in terms of 2022, it's my sincere hope that we can break down some of the silos within long-term services and supports. We always talk in our field of aging services about the silos that separate acute care and primary care and long-term care, but we have silos in our long-term services and supports community between the nursing home and home and community-based services, between home health and other types of home-based services. And I think we um, are often placed in the position of competing for the public dollar against one another um, rather than together. And together with the families and residents we serve, I also think that there is an unfortunate um, chasm that has opened up between the residents that we serve, the families who advocate for them, uh, and the provider. And it's not true in all cases, but I've seen it a lot during the pandemic, and I hope that we can um, have a renaissance of uh, really engaging families and residents and professionals and researchers uh, and everyone across the spectrum in, in doing the work of, again, helping people age beautifully, fully for all of their lives. Great. Thank you so much for those parting words, Gail. I really appreciate it. And our listeners do too. So if there's, if you have anything else you'd like to share with um, the listeners on the podcast, otherwise that's, that's all I had for you. And thank you so much. Thank you so much, Molly. I'm so, um, I'm so hopeful about what the future holds. I, I look at what's been accomplished and see it as a great foundation from which to build. Wonderful. Well, we are inspired by your leadership. Thank you again for taking the time. And I wish you a happy last day on Friday. Hey, thanks, Molly. Thank you. Happy nice to you. Thank you. Bye, Gail. Bye-bye. Leading Age, the trusted voice in aging, in partnership with Markentum, a marketing agency focused on the field of aging, is excited to present you with the mentor's voice. We believe that conversation between our field's mentors and the next generation of students and young professionals is vital for the ongoing success in the field of aging. Each episode of the Mentor's Voice podcast will feature a student or young professional interviewing a mentor. Through this conversation, the Mentor's Voice gives us all an opportunity to learn from each other, new and seasoned alike. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to Season 2, Episode 5 with Gail Kenbold and Christy. Now is the time when we talk about all things leading age. What is going on in the world of leading age today? We actually have quite a few things happening for students this coming winter and spring. So I wanted to alert any students out there to go to the leadingage.org slash student events. Student events is all one word um, page. And you'll see everything we have going on. 
What we've done for the spring semester for students is that we've created a webinar series or a Zoom series for you guys to register for with a variety of topics. So for this coming January, I want everyone to look at the upcoming one that's going to be a panel of aging services recruiters and human resources executives. And they are going to be sharing some information about uh, what you should do when you're looking for that next great job in aging services. And then we have more of those coming up too. Um, in February and March. And then also in March, we have our leadership summit in DC. So there are special student Ooh. rates for that. And Chris and I will be there. So be there. Looking yeah, definitely want to be there. And if you're interested in um, a complimentary student registration, all you have to do is email me and we can talk further. And my email address is ckramer at leadingage.org. Do it. Get connected with Christy. Take advantage of that awesome student opportunity. And just once again, want to say thank you to everybody that has been a part of uh, the Mentors Voice, our students, our mentors, and we just encourage you to go to check out um, our website, thementorsvoice.com. There you will find links to all the different places where podcasts are shared, Apple, Google, Spotify, and you can also connect to us through social media. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all those fun channels. Send us a message about what you've enjoyed or a referral, anybody that you'd be interested in us reaching out to, to have on the show. Um, so again, on behalf of me and Christy and everybody from The Mentor's Voice, thank you so much.